Christmas cakes at work for the farm shop. Barrett in Doncaster, by the way, you show some... to All Fruits Ripe. We're here with um, Dan Sue from Lyrics Organics. That's right. And we're all chilling here on a Sunday, about to have a nice chat and listen to some tunes. Nice. Perfect Sunday. Yeah. How's things that, um, Dan? Come on, we're all over the place with my names today. <laughs> it really is a lazy Sunday. Lazy I'm Sunday. I'm sat here with two good friends and I'm forgetting names. Yes, yeah, all right. We don't need names. We don't need names. <laughs> yeah, no names. No thanks. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm good, man. I'm good. I'm tired. Who isn't? Kind of like renovating a house at the moment, so that's a lot. But um, everything's good. And actually, last night was really cool. I met up with all my Glastonbury lots of the people we run the Rum Shack with. So that was a really beautiful, soulful time to reconnect with those. And it kind of reminds me why we do these things, mm. why we put ourselves through all this work and not enough play, but it's because of music and people. So for the listeners, Dan runs an amazing project called Lyrics Organics, but rather than me do it injustice, tell us a little bit about what Lyrics Organics actually is. Sure, so um, Lyrics Organics is one part event production company, one part youth creative education company, and we explore the roots of words I guess. Originally started in 2009 as an exploration of the roots of hip-hop in a very broad sense. So through hip-hop, through poetry, through folk music, through jazz, through whatever it might be and exploring the lineage of that. And uh, that looks like anything from small acoustic gigs um, in the back rooms of pubs or, you know, kind of on the streets through to big festival stages. So we run um, the Rum Shack at Glastonbury Festival, which is about a 900 person beast of a venue with live music and DJs till like six in the morning. Um, and so we kind of explore music and explore poetry through the gamut of um, these different types of events. And I guess we specialize in working with young people and we specialise in working with charities or at least kind of social action messages. Mm. So looking at ways that we can use words and music to amplify positive messages, basically. That's what we do. Amazing. That is exactly what you do and you do it so well. Thanks, man. It's, it's mad because it's been like a labour of love. And I remember I've been thinking about this quite a lot recently because the Mercury Music Awards... Uh, nominations just dropped and it's like super mainstream it's, but what was interesting about it it reminded me that when I started Lyrics Organics it was, it was because I was like in 10 years time people are going to be listening to lyrical music as pop music or as mainstream music right. 
And so I've always had this 10-year vision, and we're now at eight slash nine years. And this year, the Mercury Music Prize is Kate Tempest, Ed Sheeran, who we worked with from young, um, Stormzy, Jay Huss, Sampha, and it's kind of like cross-section of British culture, which is now being kind of propelled by lyrical music, basically. Mm. So it's... Um, yeah, it's it, it feels like all the things are kind of aligning at once and we're lucky to kind of be a part of it. Should we get into the first track? Yeah, yeah, so for sure. I haven't told Dan what we've chosen. I'm not going to look. I'm not even going to look. No, 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 because we're going to discuss it. Okay. Um, Sizzler. Yeah. Which is obviously one of my favourite artists as well. So I was I was hyped to, to get that list and see Sizzler. And what a list, Ads, huh? Yeah. He supplied us with probably a track that I could play happily every week. I would have easily played all of them, but I had to choose one. So we chose Sizzler, and uh, we've got Solid as a Rock. Oh, mate. So tell us, why this track? Um, one of my pervading memories of this track is standing at King Tubby's at Carnival, which is my favourite spot. And we'll talk about trees later, but like my spot is by that tree directly opposite the van and that's my spot like carnival both days if you want to come find me i'm there on that corner and i remember them dropping solid as a rock one time and just and i was on my own and, and sometimes when i go into gigs and particularly when i go into sound systems i'm in my i'm in another space it's almost like spiritual and i remember looking around me and they dropped that tune and seeing this really young kids like by the outside his, his council estate steps right on the steps of King Tubby's and I don't know whatever it was just the connection I had with this kid who I've never met before didn't even speak to and we caught eyes for maybe like two seconds but like it made me this this tune is really powerful because of its sentiment and it's I feel that whenever you're going through dark things and um, heavy stuff, which everyone does to a greater or lesser extent, there's always going to be tunes that kind of ground you, like really, truly ground you. And I mean, Solid as a Rock by its very kind of title is exactly that. It's like a foundation and, it's, and, it's, and it settles me, but it's also uplifting. And I think Sizzler is one of the most incredible voices even still even though his stuff he's making at the moment is a bit different and not a fan of all of it but he's just a legend and i just find the sentiment of his tune really warming and uh life affirming without further ado let's get it on the decks let's run it <laughs> A good man down Always keep a smile when they want me to frown Keep the vibes and ice to the my ground They will never ever take my crown Oh damn bless I say no man hurts Things getting better when they thought it would be worse Here comes the officers asking for a search They found no weapon just only a draw first 
I'm so solid as a rock They just can't stop me now Even when they set their tops They just can't stop me now People will say this and that They just can't stop me now Even when they set up roadblocks They just can't stop me now They just can't stop me now Even when they set their traps They just can't stop me now People will say this and that They just can't stop me now Even when they set up roadblocks They just can't stop me now Go down to mix me up in your dirty game You're only trying to tarnish my name You're only looking for the innocent to blame When you're the ones who wish the guns down the lane You only cause destruction and the pain But the righteous believes and the rain Love is all I got to give and I'm not to shine Looking for the future the slayer can't tame Cause I'm so solid as a rock and they just can't stop me now Even when they send their traps, they just can't stop me now People will say this and that, they just can't stop me now Even when they set up roadblocks, they just can't stop me now So they can't keep a good man down Always keep a smile when they want me to browse Keep the vibes and dice to do my crowns They will never ever take my crown Who's a place I say no man curse Things getting better when they thought it would be worse Here comes the officers asking for a search They found the weapon just only a dropper Wow, uh, yeah, Sizzler, Sizzler, Sizzler every time. Kalonji. Kalonji. He produced seven albums in just that year. Wow. The work What rate, year was that? 2002. 2002. I mean, there was one year I believe he made 14 albums. Really? Yeah, he's just like ridiculous. I mean, granted, like every single track is not going to be a killer, but... I mean, there was that period of time as well when he was crossing into two sort of like camps. He was doing like the conscious roots and he was doing like dance the bashment dancehall. Mm-hmm. And um, he doesn't seem to do so much of the bashment dancehall. Although I think, I kind of feel like that genre of reggae has died out a bit now. Like it's not as prevalent as it was in sort of 2002, 2000s. Yeah, it's, it's different now. I mean, I still listen to loads of bashment and dancehall because that's kind of... That's my where my heart is in many ways. And even the shit stuff, you know, like the stuff which is lots of auto-tune is actually quite kind of R&B and hip-hop influenced, um, mm. very American influenced. But even so, you know, people like Alkaline, Vibes Cartel and so on, Busy Signal, 
there's a lot going going on still, but the quality is kind of a lot more focused on the mainstream because you know dancehall has a huge influence in the UK now. If you listen to grime, if you listen to Afrobeat, whether it's Afrobeat from the UK or Afrobeat from West Africa, mm. like a lot of it has a huge dancehall element to it. The way the way the vocalists are, the way they produce the tracks, the kind of the 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 emphasis on the tracks, and I think that yeah, it's kind of it's a little bit like hip hop in a sense. It's 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 new. It's it's different. It's morphed into something that's kind of of new influences of a younger generation, and and in some ways is a lot more kind of disposable. Yeah, I like what Alkaline's doing, but you know, it's dancehall's a funny one because you know so much of it I. Like thematically, I disagree with, but musically, this is such a force of nature that um, it always compels me. That's why carnivals my my thing, because like I can walk around the streets and it's like it's, it's the soundtrack to the streets. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, Sizzler done. <laughs> <laughs> so when you're doing like your, because I mean I know you, I've known you for a long time, and we've crossed over with art and we've even DJed a few times yeah. together. I found the old flyer today, actually. Did you? From Silver and Post, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you're always, you're always coming up with new projects. Like, keeping track of Dan Sue's projects <laughs> is like trying to keep up with my own projects at times. <laughs> it's, it's just, you're constantly reinventing like a new thing. And I think one of the most successful ones, forgive me if I'm wrong, but it feels like Unfold is like, unfolded into this huge thing mm. and maybe you could tell us a little bit more about firstly your process of how you get projects and do projects because you're self-employed so you've been doing this full-time now for four years is it yeah about that how how does one work this kind of thing out i love ideas i love ideas and the beauty of being freelance and the beauty of being a director of my own company and the beauty of the kind of fluidity of what we do as an organization because it's deliberately broad means that we can we have the flexibility to try new things and i think there's a difference between being you know an event producer or an event manager or an entrepreneur and being an artist and i I feel like i sit somewhere between the two and to acknowledge the artistic side of it is to constantly kind of absorb influences and see the work that people you respect and admire do and the things that they create and the impact and legacy that that their work leaves on people and so trying to take that I guess kind of that ethos and apply that into something which is traditionally has quite set formats i.e events you know typically you'll put on a type of event and then that event format will roll on but for me i guess as an artist often does kind of gets bored quite quickly or, or restless rather and so the the idea stage is something that really excites me we've unfold the idea kind of generated from so lyrics organics unfold started off about four years ago kind of about the time that I was going freelance actually and I realized that all the amazing work we were doing all the amazing creative ideas that we were generating none of it was particularly income driven or sustainable financially and that's one of the things like if you want to keep coming up with ideas you need to work out how you're going to 
you know, keep it sustainable. And so Unfold was partly an idea of having something which could bring in an income. Right. Not, not that it has <laughs> at all, <laughs> but that was the principle. And so from there, we decided to go beyond poetry. So essentially what Unfold is, is cherry picking outstanding young poets that we've kind of come across, whether it's in workshops or at gigs or wherever. And identifying something really special in them and inviting them to collaborate with a string section, a classical string section. Mm. And then that's kind of morphed into a visual art project uh, with animations and visuals into literature, which is essentially book art, which you can, which was designed by Joanna Layla, which you can kind of cut and fold and create paper sculptures that speak of the poetry. So a lot of it is around kind of trying to transcend boundaries of what spoken word is that it could be page poetry as well, transcend audiences so that young people who are into hip-hop can appreciate it, older audiences who are into classical music can appreciate it. And Lyrics Organics has always been about trying to engage people in things they didn't, they weren't sure that they knew, that right. they liked. So, yeah, it's kind of evolved and evolved. We did uh, Brighton Festival. Kate Tempest invited us to do Brighton Festival, which is amazing. Did a show at the Roundhouse. Uh, Didn't you take over the whole of Roundhouse for? A while? We no. Well, we we sold out the Sackler space, so the kind right. of about two hundred capacity theatre space. And it's interesting because we're constantly kind of like bringing in new artists, and so that's what's particularly different about it. You know, typically you'll go to a show like to go see Gorillas. Well, Gorillas probably isn't a good example because they don't technically exist in human form but you go to see a band and you'll see those band members constantly but actually what we're doing is continually changing the band members so any given unfold show you see will have a different lineup of three poets and they're created new music for it and they curate their own little mini sets within it and it's accompanied by classical musicians and electronic musicians and percussionists and so every show is different and I guess what we're trying to do is challenge the the format of live music in some ways. Yeah. It's risky though. I don't know how you find it when you're running events and sounds and that that like if you if you switch stuff up too much, you're in danger of kind of losing the loyalty of the audiences who want to come and see a particular thing. But then mm. also I think it's good to challenge audiences. I don't how, know. how do you like I mean you said that you're not making lots of um, money out of doing something like Unfold, but it costs money to produce something like that and it's not one faceted it's like many different elements to it yeah um how do you fund it well it's an interesting story actually so initially like we went to go get i did it off my own back put thousands of pounds of my own money into it just because i was like this needs to happen this is my legacy this is the thing which embodies everything that lyrics organics is about so I was like, I put my money into it, did it for about a year and a half. Then we're like, right, we need to get some funding for this. I applied for funding, got rejected for funding. I applied for funding again, got promised that funding, got rejected for that funding again. And then at that point, I was kind of quite distraught because I thought that was the end of the project. And then a couple of really close friends of mine were like, you can't dead it. Like, it has to happen. You need to find a way to do it. So we crowdfunded. Right. And I always said I wasn't ever going to crowdfund. And we did it and we succeeded and we raised, you know, not loads of money, but enough to kind of keep it going. And interestingly, on the back of that kind of interest that we generated, we then secured Arts Council funding. But then that ran out, which means that, again, it's kind of back on me or back on lyrics as an organisation to fund it. Right. 
So it's difficult, but we're slowly getting to a place where we are, people are paying to see the Unfold show, or rather we're getting brought into festivals to mm. do our thing. And, you know, it won't cover all the costs, but it covers the majority of the costs. And so the short answer to your question is it's a mix of bit of funding, bit of personal money, and a lot of generosity from so many artists and musicians. Yeah, it's, it's difficult. It's di I completely hear you and understand where you're coming from with that, trying to fund things like you're doing. Because, I mean, you know, there's lineage in what we're both doing. We do events, we make music, we play music through the sound system and different gigs and stuff like that. But, yeah, it's a struggle to sort of keep it your head above water financially all the time. You really have to think of creative ways of bringing money in. and Exactly. Because if not, you know, it's not... We haven't got a money tree, unfortunately. I mean, it'd be nice if we did. <laughs> how, how do you find... Um, it'd be great if we have one growing. Yeah, yeah, just like, even just like a mini the bonsai. The thing is, though, is if, yeah. there, if there was such a thing as a money tree, the rich people would, like, build fences all around. Yeah, them, yeah, the they'd people would never <laughs> get to them. They'd have, they'd have the trees. But, yeah, no, on a real, it's, you know, it's... it's um, you know, it's, it's, I think it's a long game. I think that's the way, the yeah. best way of looking at it. Uh, you've been running since 2009, so it's coming up, coming up to 10 years. We've been running, um, we've all been doing professionally music since 2009, but Unit 137 has been running since 2012. Mm. It, reality is, it's it's not, you know, it's not a money-making thing, but spreading a message um, is very important. And sometimes for people to be able to hear that message, I think it can take up to 10 years and exactly. it can take that long for things to really start turning around and coming out of the reds, yeah. you know? I've always seen 10 years being at market because it used to be, and I remember specifically where I had this realization is when I was reading Knowledge, it used to be my favorite magazine, like the drum and bass magazine. Mm. So I used to be a drum and bass MC back in the day and I used to pour over it. And I, the theme that constantly came up from all the interviews, it could be with Andy C, it could be with like Loxie and Inc, it could be like Friction, whoever. It's like, it's taken me 10 years to get to this point. 10 years of slogging away. Yeah, I've done good stuff, but no one's really seen it. But 10 years was kind of like the tipping point. Whether that's true or not, time will tell. But I feel like there's the, the message is to just kind of dedicate yourself to doing what you do. And then there will come a point where people will get it, but you have to stay true to it. Mm. And there's so many people who will drop out, be it artists or event makers or visual artists or whatever it might be. But that perseverance is as important as your talent. Yeah, because it's, I mean, it's the market as well, isn't it? That way. I mean, I'm talking musically. Um, it's just it's there's a lot going on. There's a lot of people doing things. Yeah. It's a lot easier now to release music. So it's a lot harder to be heard. Do you focus your stuff on vinyl still or yeah, digital? I mean, um, I mean what's, what's, what's the kind of emphasis? We've released um, releases on vinyl. We do release music digitally as well, but try and, and continue to try to um, have music on vinyl. But it's a very big risk. Exactly. You know, yeah. You're looking at, to release like a 12 inch vinyl or a seven inch vinyl, you're looking at easily spending a grand. Mm. And that's about for 300 to 350 copies. But then if you're looking at double discs, you know, you might be looking at three grand, you right. know? So an album, 
you're looking and that's for 350 copies as well so for an album you're taking a very big risk yeah especially as independent artists and independent companies you know because we've i mean personally we've got quite a niche market of people who listen to our stuff and and who are fans of what we do you know but that is growing but yeah like a lot of our releases unfortunately because we spend a lot of money on the marketing as well to try and get the message out to more and more people yeah. you know the outgoings are a lot and the incoming isn't yeah you know because digital and also your outgoings is one clout and then the incomings is yeah it can take a long time you're always chasing yeah but then you know it's the question does it especially with music sales. I mean, we're kind of talking about two different things, aren't we? You know, we're talking about um, record sales and, you know, digital sales and then also talking about events and stuff like that. But there are links. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's, what, that's, what I find, that's what I find interesting is the link, particularly between uh, vinyl and events in the sense of um, you create this thing and this thing costs money and it will kind of exist forever, either in people's heads or in people's kind of record box. And as the creator, as the entrepreneur, as the maker of it, you do it because you love it, but then it's like getting that tangible kind of return from it, whether it's money or someone saying, that changed my life, that song or that event. It's very, very rare. You, you, you hardly ever get that. So this constant like, like leap of faith that an artist or creative has to do where you're never sure whether what you're doing actually has any real impact until one person tweets you or walks up to you at a rave or whatever it might be and it's weird how like these small moments for something with so much risk I mean if you you know there's a reason why there's a corporate world and a creative world because like if you took this business model into like a boardroom people would be like what the what are you talking about this doesn't make any sense you can't put on this event you can't press this final but <coughs> that doesn't come into the equation. And I think that's really important, that kind of mm. truth and belief to just do it because you believe in this bigger thing that's going yeah. to come back around. And that's kind of what I, I, I think I was getting at before, just saying that it's not always for the financial reward. I mean, we didn't set up what we're doing here to make money. It was to release music that we're making. And then over the years, money started to come in in different ways. But yeah, the original intention was was about music. Just turn it back around on you a little bit. Yeah, what, do it. what is the uh, moment at which you've you realised that it's been worth it? Oh, all the all the time. Um, there's there's moments of yeah, like realization of like yeah, this this is this is cool. Yeah. I'd say one of the best moments is when you see people coming up to you um, who you've never met before and letting you know what they think and say why they like the music and loads of moments, you know. I think it's that realisation that your message is being heard by other people. Yeah. That's a really big point. But then on the flip side of that, when you see a release consistently doing really well, and knowing that, I don't know, like, because some releases don't do as well as others. Mm. And, you know, I mean, I imagine, Louis, you, you find that with your work yeah, as well, sure. you know? Yeah, like, like you can do a painting and then it's like, oh, why didn't anyone buy that painting? I like that painting. <laughs> and then you'll see one that you don't like sell and it's like, oh, 
kind of annoyed that that's sold, but glad as well because I don't ever have to look at it again. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but, um, yeah, yeah. Should we get into uh, Unit One Three Seven track then? Since yeah, why not? Um, yeah. I, today I chose our first release. Oh, nice. Um, which is a ten inch, and it was a track that we put out in April 2012 by Only Joe. I'm going to play the original. I engineered and produced this. For those of you who don't know, Only Joe um, are a reggae band that at the time were a 10-piece. They're still going to this day and making music and playing out at festivals and events across the UK and Europe. So if you ever get a chance, I definitely recommend to check them out. So yeah, I'm going to play the original. I think this one, you can't buy it anymore. Hey. So this is one, there's a couple of the releases that we've put out that have sold out, but we did 350 copies of this. Thick. Mm. Nice. Enjoy. So in a way, like, um, in many respects, every, every record that you buy from an independent label, you are essentially funding the future production of more releases from them. Yeah. That's I mean, why you should be seeing it, really. Fully, because, you know... Um, us as independent labels releasing music on unless you've got a distribution deal mm. or someone who else, somebody who else is who is taking the risk or but really and truly independent labels it, you know a lot of them don't because these kind of distribution deals do not exist anymore right. as much as they used to uh, now it's more just digital distribution deals but yeah somebody if you see a record in your local record shop or wherever you buy your records and it is, you know, an independent label, you'll be directly supporting not only the label to release more music, but the artist as well, yeah. you know, and everybody involved with that release, because it takes more than just the artist and the record label, you know, if you're doing a music video or you're getting artwork done or you're pressing a record, somebody's mm -hmm. got to master it, somebody's got to put that onto the lacquer and send yeah. it off to the plant, and then, you know, that's got to get produced. There's a big process within yeah. it to be able to own that vinyl, yeah. so. Real talk. Yeah, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Revolution come to your head. Press a listen down before you dead, for you dead. Nah, nah, ah, ah. Oh, revolution shall say. No, 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 ah, ah. What's it then? Na 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 
when someone starts with that as their first release that there's only good things to come right yeah well i hope so uh, <laughs> it's funny when you listen back to old music though <coughs> you know just listening to that then i'm like wow different production techniques as you progress in your career and yeah i like every release we've done for different reasons right but it's yeah it's funny looking back on your old work and especially looking back at listening back sorry to your work on vinyl it's nice. It's different rather than listening to it on the computer or on, yeah. you know, a CD or USB, you know, whatever, you, whatever you're going to use. Yeah, but yeah. when you listen to it on on vinyl, it's... More it's emotional nice. attachment. Yeah. Yeah, it's part of you, you know. It's nice. So when you're obviously thinking a lot about projects and then sometimes a project gets given to you. Yeah. Am I wrong in presuming that the project you did with the forest alliance the woodland trust yeah was that that was one of those occasions of here's a project do it we need it done now that was an interesting one actually basically it started when woodland trust approached us and was like we want to put on an event where we bring together storytellers poets musicians academics environmentalists conservationists woodcrafts people and you know a whole spectrum of people into a space so that they could have a weekend essentially like a little mini festival come kind of symposium to talk about how to engage people in the tree charter so the tree charter as a bit of background is so 2017 is the 800 year anniversary of the Charter of the Forest, which is what, so the Charter of the Forest took place one year after the Magna Carta. So it's essentially how they split up the, the trees and the woodland areas in the UK 
what was private, what was public land. So this 800 year anniversary, the tree charter was meant, is, is designed to engage people in trees, woods and people. That's the tagline. And so this event that they asked us to do was, at the end there'll be an outcome and that outcome would be, well, what does this look like? How are we gonna get people involved? So we put on this event and so yeah, essentially Woodland Trust came to us and like, can you put on this event? But then within that, we, we designed it as we wished. So we commissioned a storyteller, Rachel Rose Reed, to create a, like a kind of whatever it was, a 30 minute piece that would be a, a trail. And that trail would have music on it. We'd, we hit cellists in the woods. Manny DeLago, who's Bjork's hang player, one of the mm. greatest musicians in the world, uh, playing in, uh, beneath a tree. Joanna Layla designing kind of intricate little art installations within the woods. And the storyteller would kind of walk through the space. People would come with them and experience all this stuff. But beyond that, it was about well, how are we going to engage people? And one of the outcomes of that was, well, we need to engage young people. That's going to be really fundamental to how we really take the tree charter going forward. So from that point, a few months later, Wooden and Trust were like, okay, so we thought about all the findings, young people, obviously Lewis Organics specialise in working with young people, what can you do? And so at that point, it was different because at that point, they gave us a blank canvas and the autonomy right. to create a program and so this was actually a dream project for us in many senses and so what we decided to do was set up five workshops Glasgow Cardiff Manchester and two in London and they were photography poetry music events and visual art and so with each of those disciplines we deliver a workshop and at the end of this workshop, which was obviously themed around trees and the tree charter, there was a thousand pounds up for grab for, for allocated to each workshop. And so the participants would then apply and say, listen, we've got this amazing idea of how we're gonna engage our communities, our local communities in this tree charter. So we're kind of disseminating it. Mm. And it was amazing because the, it would range from poetry events in Butte Park, like outdoor kind of spoken word events, through to music videos, through to uh, art exhibitions at Manchester Museum or uh, photography exhibitions in a small little uh, have tea all these, room. All these productions have already happened, right? They've all already happened, yeah. yes. The idea was it the legacy that it leaves. And so that legacy is still continuing, so much so that, for instance, some of the... So we one thing was we recorded an EP in the music workshops, uh, and it was around trees, and it was around, you know, tree charter, and we released that as a free download on Bandcamp. And as a result of that... Some of the young artists have got further gigs. They played at Hay Festival and so on. So it's been, it's been nice. So in answer to your question, it was a mixture of here's what we need. And then later on, it was kind of like, do what you do best. And which format did you prefer? Do you prefer to totally reinvent the whole project? Or uh, yeah, to start with? having the creative control to do whatever. Whereas before, you're always kind of playing within the margins. Right. Uh, whereas now, I think people respect and kind of admire our work enough and trust it to just let us run loose. And have you got any more projects that are like that coming up or has it spurred on an energy for wanting to do more projects like that? Absolutely, it's definitely spurred on an energy. It made us realize that we're good at speaking about important matters and there's, there's few more important matters than the environment. And so 
to be able to have the leverage to work with one of the largest charities, mm. one of the biggest supported charities in the UK, let alone within the environment, means that we have the kind of the influence now, I guess, in some ways, and the respect of other environmental organisations to potentially do it. I mean, as with anything, as we were talking about, it kind of comes down to funding because there's only so much you can do kind of off your own back. But yeah, absolutely. I think we're fiercely determined at the moment to use our power for good, or our visibility for our voice, I guess. And you've done a lot of travelling this year, right? Yeah, last kind of 12 to 18 months has been, we've been doing a lot of work with British Council, ranging from poetry projects in Sudan to enterprise projects in Ethiopia to music event management courses in Kazakhstan and Moscow which has been bonkers if I'm being frank like <laughs> I never thought I would be going to Kazakhstan to teach music events um, I never thought I'd be teaching music events um, let alone in in obscure areas of Central Asia Kazakhstan incidentally is the ninth largest country in the world so like in terms of natural on, on a natural tip it's really well that was my next question I was going to say are, are you going to experience some of the natural elements and like nature when you're going to these places as much as I possibly can yeah within my kind of schedule so in Kazakhstan it's interesting because it's the ninth biggest country in the world it's huge and they have this thing called the Kazakh steppe which essentially is this desert but it's not like a sandy desert it's just a dry kind of just I mean I, I flew over in winter so it's all snow and Imagine the ninth biggest country in the world just covered in snow, so, no civilization, wow. no no uh, towns or anything, just for this huge expanse. And there's just two main cities. One's Astana, which is kind of this kind of weird kind of Futurama type place that the dictator dreamt up and it's bonkers. And then there's Almaty, which is the old capital right. where I was teaching. And Almaty's at the foot of these mountains. It's, it's actually quite a westernised city. It's got a lot of German influence, historically, strangely. And I made an effort to climb up the mountains. Probably It probably wasn't a good idea because it was avalanche season and I was on my own and I was underdressed and hungover. You have um, a habit of getting yourself in trouble <laughs> when you go out on your own. Yeah, I just... I just yeah. Sorry, just for the listeners. Uh, Dan was telling us a story about how he got chased by uh, some cows in a field... When was this? A couple of weeks ago. Uh, oh no, no, this was this was a few years ago. Oh, when, a few years ago. When I was in France, but basically went off on my own and decided I needed a bit of quiet time, and then found myself in a field full of bovine. Uh, and I thought, oh, this is nice and romantic. This is lovely. Um, until they started chasing me up the hill, and I was cornered uh, between a herd of twenty cows and a wire fence. I had to burrow my way on from under under the fence um but yeah that's a real thing man cows chase people they do, it, don't they? yeah but yeah so I was, I was up this mountain in kazakhstan and they have like the largest ice rink in the world the, the largest and the highest ice rink in the world wow. and i was like oh this is great i really want to just like go to the mountains just get a bit of peaceful time i mean kazakhstan why wouldn't i but this ice rink was just banging out really rubbish like euro trash pop and trance and stuff like that and you couldn't get away from it because it was in the mountain so everywhere you go you just hear this infernal music and then i had a moment where suddenly the music stopped and i found myself up up the mountain um but i was kind of like about thigh deep in snow and in a thin shirt um and had to kind of get helped out of the snow by a bunch of kind of non-english speaking uh kind kazakh people um (laughs) But yeah, I try and get out to to experience the nature of a country as much as possible because I think that's the heart of any country. Yeah. 
Have you got any beautiful trees that you've seen whilst you've been traveling or? I had a really nice, I went for a similar kind of walk when, so walking is hugely important for me. Walking yeah, is- Yeah, you my, run a little walking project Yeah, as well, it's called Walk Me Up. It's just basically a bunch of mates who kind of meet up, go for a walk in the countryside, hit a few countryside pubs, but ultimately yeah. just, you know, breathe fresh air. Go back to nature. Yeah, exactly. Spend a lot of time in Wales walking and so on. But I, um, yeah, so I went for a walk in Ethiopia and I went to Lalabella, which is kind of in the middle of nowhere and a very, very spiritual place. And one of my favorite albums of all time is Buju Banton's uh, Til Shalow, and that's all about Ethiopia. Um, and I went for this kind of spiritual walk whilst listening to Buju's album. I walked up these mountains uh, and it's really, it's like two and a half thousand feet above sea level. And you walk and it's really hot and you kind of pass, you know, 80 year old women with huge stacks of sticks on their back or rocks or whatever. And it's just kind of, it's, it's, it's quite humbling to see. And we, I basically walked up and kind of reached this oasis of eucalyptus trees. And I've never seen eucalyptus trees. And, wow. and I feel like on, on some kind of level, I'm a koala inside. That's <laughs> like probably like my, my, my animal. I won't explain why, but anyway. Um, <laughs> you can explain why it's tree related. Uh, because koalas <laughs> like sleeping. And occasionally, I say occasionally, quite a lot of time get high. I'm not saying that's all I do, kids, but... <laughs> Trees are a big part of life. Trees are a big... T- and, and, you know, koalas are literally tree huggers. And I, f- I feel like on a level, I'm a tree hugger. Yeah. But, yeah, to see these eucalyptus trees and, and the smell of them and being in the environment that I was and it being so arid and desert-like around and then seeing this greenery on this kind of plateau a thousand feet above Lalabella where there's just kind of rock-hewn churches, so churches carved out of rock, uh, was really spectacular. Wow. That's amazing. I think trees, trees are life. I, th- I think um, I would like to s- engage and spend more time exploring the, the wonder of trees. If that doesn't sound too hippie. No, not at all. Like that's the whole thing is, is that there's a bad, I think a bad affiliation of if you love trees, you're a tree hugger, hippie. Mm. But it's not. Absolutely. Like, trees Absolutely. are like the most important thing and they do, so much for our planet and without them we're screwed absolutely and people like if you if you isolate people from their peers and you say to them and you talk to them about trees like nearly everybody loves a tree of some sort and people all gravitate towards sitting under a tree or have a memory of a tree in their (coughs) man's garden that grew apples or something you know but get a group of young people together to talk about trees and it's like no no we're not doing that. Exactly. And this is part of the thing around the work we were doing with Woodland Trust is to break down this stigma because ultimately this is self-damaging. Like, we're in a really serious time at the moment environmentally. You know, we'll be lucky if we, if our, our, our environment lasts another 60 years. And we have to get over this, this kind of Western stigma of people who celebrate and preserve the environment being hippies in inverted commas or, or whatever it might be because that's an easy way to just separate and ignore what is a really important issue and so one of the what we're trying to do is look at how we reframe that and how we tell this story without kind of falling into the the social kind of stereotypes which you know they exist and so we have to work around them or with them and working with young people was really interesting in in doing that because 
I mean, a large part of the Tree Charter project was around tree stories. So everyone telling their story. And like you say, everyone's got a story about a tree. Everyone yeah. has some connection with a tree, whether they realise it or not. And I think what's interesting is that, you know, when we're in an urban environment, it's, we, we have even greater disconnect between trees because there's a lot of people who simply, they don't see it. They're more likely right. to see cars or concrete blocks than they are to see trees. And trees become this incidental thing. Whereas if you go into the countryside, obviously it's what you see. And so as we have more of an urbanized kind of movement of people, it's important, you know. And so like, you know, Batsy Power Station has been all kind of renovated and stuff. And I think it's great because it's an iconic building and it needs to be, something needs to happen with it. But next door to it, there's like this big glass building, like a mixed use residential office building. And they've literally got like a tree that's kind of like maybe five stories up, just one of it on its own, kind of framed within this glass kind of thing open fronted so it's kind of like open to the elements but you know it's boxed in right. and it's like what the fuck it's being used as kind of I guess a piece of art or piece of design or architecture however you want to look at it but not, it's not credible and I was like what the fuck is this tree thinking like this mm. tree is not even on the ground it's within a glass box in order for this glass environment to feel like it's got a bit of nature attached to it right. and it's just so eccentric and contradictory but this is where we're living in at the moment right. and it's how we as urban dwellers are still wrestling with the way that we integrate nature into our urban environments and that screams to me of tokenism and shows no respect for the tree yeah and these are the things we're battling at the moment because people understand trees are good. You know, I worked in property development for a while, like in the property development industry, weirdly. And, you know, urban realm and green space is really important to property developers. They're not all bad people. But surely the simplest thing is you, you don't bulldoze a park or you preserve greenbelt land or whatever it might be. And I think that we, there's a contradiction in the stereotypes and the stigma that we we're stuck in at the moment. And I, I, I would like to challenge that, but it's a big problem at the moment. Mm. So for example, there's been a big thing going on in Sheffield recently where there's a whole bunch of trees that were kind of in, in the pavement and they were kind of like, you know, the pavement was getting all rippled because they were growing and stuff like that. So the, the, the local council wanted to cut them down and the local community who live on the road were like, you can't cut down these trees. This is really, really important. You can't cut down the trees for A, B and C. And loads of celebrities have got involved and it's become a big like Guardian kind of story for the last kind of year. And you have this constant tension between the urban environment and the, the, the natural environment. And th th this seems to preclude the actual issue. Right. And so how, how we actually deal with this problem when we're actually dealing with the kind of bureaucracy and the, the, the intricacies of a council wanting to even out the pavement and stuff like that. It's difficult. Yeah. Well, let's get into the next tune. It's one that I've selected and then maybe Ads and I can share a true story. Yeah, I've got I've got one. Or two. So I've chosen Barris Hammond. Nice. Because I know how much of a Buju fan you are. Yeah. And Barris and Buju just belong together. Yeah. It's like Which peas one? and carrots. I've gone for Honeycomb. Nice. Uh, two reasons why I've chosen that. Yeah. One, I'm known for my bees. So it makes sense for me to pick the honeycomb. Nice. But also, 
I love the lyrics in that the the grace that they give to a loved one. And I've not spent enough time with my girlfriend recently. And so for me, the song's dedicated to Tanya. And yeah. I know that you get that same thing with Joe. You don't get to spend enough time with her. Mm. So it's nice to, to give that time. And music does that, doesn't it? It gives us time to reflect upon everything that's going on around us. Yeah, for sure. There's peace in music. Yeah. Lady Love, this woman, she's like a blessing from above. Got to let them know that. Talking about you, might as well I tell you by the thoughts that I've been hiding. A list so long I hardly know where to start. Don't be offended if I tell you you're a hell of a kind of woman. And you do something special to my heart I see you as a queen and a lady No ifs, no buts, no maybe The only thing sweeter than my honeycomb Keep up as the same queen and lady Keep the standard steady The only thing sweeter than my honeycomb this man wrote on the everyday descent Woman reminiscing, old man she been missing Committing the ultimate sin When a human entrance with safekeeping Every single thing When me think you left the boy Can you still there with him? Seeking around privately meeting Must you tell yourself they do be sleeping So me love you so much I mean I want you nothing I'm going to put you on the manners with sweet discipline And now let me tell you what joy it is to have you And now two people in the world could be the same Lady Love You provide me with inspiration I know I'm in the right direction You're always there, come sun, come rain See you as a queen and a lady No it's no buts, no maybe The only thing sweeter than my honeycomb
for my girl now My woman now I'm so so used to go on that can't go no more Cause you are my girl now My woman now She may be so honest lady before But I'm my girl now My woman now I'm so so used to go on Can't go no more Cause she are my girl now an expansive volume of silence envelops my ears. It echoes in heads, it resonates this frame, and it penetrates here. The subwoofer of nature's sound system. Yo, this is Dan Sue from Lyrics Organics representing the All Fruits Ripe podcast. Yes, yes. Thanks for that, Lou. Yeah, big tune. Great selection. Mm. So, Ads, give us a true story. All right, well, we're running out of time of this this podcast so i'll be quick i was going to talk about a tree that was growing out of this building but i now since you were talking about ethiopia can't remember the name of the tree but i remember when i went up to gonda um just north of lake tana and i went to look at this view of gonda and looked up on top of this hill it's amazing view and then i went down to this uh swimming paths that they were they were developing. Um, It used to be active, but yeah, they were doing some more building work to it. But the whole perimeter wall, right, that was part of this swimming baths, was um, a wall, but the tree had actually grown symbiotically in the wall and strengthened the wall. Wow. And the whole of this, this whole wall was just a tr- like different trees. And this is one type of tree, I can't remember the name, but that's just something that stuck with me of the unification between a man-made wall, which is obviously part of this world, um, all the different materials they've used yeah. and the tree growing within that. But that only came from you talking about Ethiopia. The other thing that I'll quickly talk about, I know we haven't <laughs> got much time, is the tree that was here. Um, in this building, growing out of a wall, which unfortunately we had to kill because the roots had grown all the way down from the third floor down the wall, in the wall, turned the bottom part of the wall in somebody else's space downstairs completely into basically water. Um, The whole wall was earth. The roots had grown, like literally the bottom of the roofs were in the wall. And we had to, we unfortunately had to, yeah, wow. cut it off because it had started breaking the wall apart. <coughs> Basically, the whole bottom floor needed to dry out because mm. <laughs> it was just bringing up water from the ground up the roots. Wow, yeah. that's amazing. Uh, yeah. Yeah, trees are very powerful mm. and sometimes can be detrimental to man-made buildings and sometimes strengthen them. Wow. That's amazing. I got so many flashes of tree stories that came into my head during this conversation, but I think the one I'm going to stick with is, and it's probably because I'm going back to the Amazon and I'm particularly excited about being back in the rainforest again. But first time I went to the Amazon, I was 18 and I wasn't really like thinking about trees and plants at this point at all i was just thinking about the animals and the birds and the insects and so on and so when i was met by trees all of a sudden i was like quite taken aback and there's so many different types of trees and i'm actually going to tell you two things one is a story a fable which i think is relevant and i think everybody should abide by it and the other one is the 
audaciousness of a tree. So in the Amazon, like one of the things that trees deal with is obviously the uh, the rainfall. And so when the rivers flood, they get the new estuaries and so on, and therefore the water rises. And that means that trees have to cope with being half under, well, a vast majority of it underwater. And then obviously in the dry season, then it drops and then the tree then has to cope with also being out of water. <clears throat> so some of these trees, I mean, they're huge, 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 huge trees. Like there's no sun in, in the jungle because it's all canopy. Um, and so trees are supporting like a, an incredible amount of weight and the strength of that is in the roots, obviously. And so there's one tree, and I don't know what it's called, but the tree, the root of it, is so big that, I, I mean, to my memory, it'd probably be about 20 foot high. Just the root to get over it, they were that big. And so I'm pretty excited to see if I see those again and understand a bit more about that because I hadn't expected it. I stumbled onto it and now, now I'm expecting and I want to know more. The magic story and the thing that I think everyone should hold to is that and I don't know if it's all through the Amazon or other tribal cultures, but this particular story was where I was in Peru, in Iquitos, in the, in the Amazon there. And they, they have a story whereby if you want to take something, if you want to cut down a tree or um, you need that tree for building a part of your house or whatever, before you cut it, you must look for the mother, the mother tree. And you must ask the mother tree's permission to cut down the tree. And... It's always stuck with me because for me, the logic in that and is that, well, there's two logics. One, that if you can't find the mother tree, then it means that this must be the mother. Thus, if you chop it down, there is no more trees to come. So therefore, you must leave it and wait for it to grow babies and then you chop that down. But then the other essence of it is, is it's, well, I guess they're interlinked, but it's it's basically preservation. And I think that that is what so much of our society lacks in is this idea of conservation and preservation and looking after what comes next. And so if you found, if you can't find the mother or if you do find the mother, in doing so, you ensure that what you're cutting down is not the end of an existence. And I think that that's really important. And I think that that's, uh, then that seeps into consumerism, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and so on. But um, I find that story fascinating and one that's always stuck with me, true. It's really interesting. Yeah. So what, what was the trade? What was the species of tree? I don't know. I don't know. But I th it basically abides by all trees. Sure, so like, sure. if you're yeah. going to cut something down to build something as a human, you must ask the tree's mother for permission before removing it. Yeah, I, th I think that makes total sense to me. Yeah. And it's beautiful. I just have this image stuck in my head of these 20-foot roots. It's just <laughs> amazing. Yeah, I'd love to see that. Well, that, I mean, I guess that like they would struggle to cut down a tree that size, but like other trees that were smaller mm. to be building the houses and so on. Mm. But yeah, we are running out of time. So let's get into the last track, which is the remix of the first track that you asked for. We don't tell anyone we're doing this. <laughs> and it's it's a jungle track. Sweet. And I don't actually out. know who it's by. Yeah, there's not. It's 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 one of these for promotional use only, uh. which then you wonder how it is that you managed to buy it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I think well, you'd hope that they'd uh, yeah not try and make money out of it. If they are going to make money out of it, it'd be nice if Sizzler and the rest of his team who produced that saw a bit of money from it. Yeah. But 
a lot of these white labels usually work in a way. I mean, I've done it before. I've released the white label, but the way yeah. I did it was, and I hope other people do this, that it was completely at cost. Right. We lost money because unfortunately some s shops ripped us off. Yeah. I think is if you can break even, it's a nice way of spreading music. Yeah, yeah. Mm. I've got a lot of white labels. I think they're fun because people are like, oh, who is that? And like, yeah, you don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Mr. Anonymous. Yeah, or Mrs. Anonymous. Yeah, yeah. Or Mrs. The mystery Anonymous tour. For sure. Yeah, so um, we're going to finish on this. So thanks, Dan, for coming down. Thanks to all the listeners who have been yeah, tuning in some Tree, tree Talk, talk and yeah. some Lyrics Organics <laughs> Talk and some Unit 137 Talk and some Talks and Talks and Music. It's been wonderful. Thank you for having me. Thanks for coming through, man.